This episode of Vic's Basement is brought to you by Sony and the PlayStation 4. Greatness awaits. Welcome to my basement, everybody. Hello, Woo! Scott Jones. Woo! Party time. You know, uh, one of the favorite things that you and I have been doing, let's just continue the conversation yeah. because we were just talking about it. It is Batman Watch 2014. <laughs> now, we are very concerned here that uh, Ben Affleck might be miscast in the role as the caped crusader. And, yeah. and Victor Lucas, you must be losing sleep over this. Uh, it is starting to make me fret. I watched Runner Runner on the plane. I'm very curious now to see every performance of Ben Affleck and I, I pitched this to you actually as we were shooting oh, a review it. of uh, Rudder Runner, but I think what we should do is just watch all of his movies. Mm-hmm. We'll start from the beginning, and we will just start. I mean, we know so much about this guy because he's always in the public eye, but we're just going to kind of uh, gauge uh, as we run up, no pun intended, to the launch of Batman versus Superman. We're going to kind of gauge. We got a lot of time now. Ben Affleck, <laughs> yeah, it comes out in 2016. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to see how comfortable we are and how much we should fret and worry about him being in the role. You know what? I'm going to predict something right now. Yeah, I think that they're going to pull him off this movie. Really? I think there's a lot of time still. I think they're going to start shooting it. They're going to realize he's the wrong guy. This, I mean, Warner Brothers and DC, they got to be so protective of what they do at this point. I, I mean, don't you think? I, I've gone back and forth. I mean, there I can see the validity of somebody that's as experienced as Ben Affleck taking on a role. You can't really thrust this. You know, from a business standpoint, thrusting this onto a br- another brand new newcomer that doesn't really have a huge international uh, name brand, um, a la Christian Bale pre uh, uh, Batman Begins, although he was an established actor, he wasn't the same scale of established actor before he did Batman. I think that would be very hard on that newcomer. Um, so I can see them wanting to turn their franchise into a money-making thing with somebody that understands how the business works like Ben Affleck does. But, you know, I, I go back and forth on my comfort with him in the role, and I feel, that I th- I, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, that Ben Affleck is smart enough that he should have said, look, I'm going to get killed if we He's announce... not, though. Look, every every movie he directs, he puts himself right in the middle of it. I know. And he puts himself in scenes with some of the best but actors in the different. world. This is This is... And he and he falls far is, short of the mark. He this can't is even icon out, stuff. He can't out-act Justin Timberlake and run a runner. I know. Timberlake is out-acting him in every scene. Well, he's just... He feels more real. He feels more natural, you know? And Affleck just feels so uh, the, uh, affected and so, like, he's got this... Afflected. You know, yeah. You know, he's got this... Uh, uh, awareness of uh, you know every mannerism well, this, this, and uh, this vanity. Yeah, it's, it's a vanity. The vanity. Yeah. It's it's you know he's like a, a, a and, uh, you know, that, starlet that, in the thirties. It's like shoot me only from this angle with a gauze over the yeah, lens. Yeah, and it fits maybe with Ivan Block, the character he plays in that movie. But I I don't want to remember him. I don't want to think about him. You know. Uh, and Bale that's was, all we're going to be Bale thinking was about. So good. I know. I know that the the last movie was bad, but man, Bale was Bale was and the right the man. The last movie for the was job. bad, but not because of Bale. No, no, you know? Bale was still excellent. He was again, yeah, totally. He totally. Fit. And he was game. And he did the he even did the when work. he was hobbling around on his cane. He was wimpy Batman. He was sort of sad mopey, Batman. sad Batman yeah. for a long time, yeah. and then he was broken back Batman for. Here's a long what time. happens: they yeah. pull Affleck. Yeah, Eric Bana steps in. Uh, he would have been amazing. Amazing, I, I, like he's the guy I would have cast. Either oh. Bana or you know everybody says Carl Urban. I think that's a little too on the nose no, as well. Yeah, it's too on the nose. I think you uh, 
you surprise people. Eric Bana would have been amazing. Amazing. He's you know? mature. Yeah. He's uh, he's strong. Yep. He's very handsome. He's got a great chin because that's what you're going to see for most of the movie. Yeah. The chin. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. I, what, what well, is, what and is also, the... not everybody know. I mean, he played the Hulk, but not everybody knows who he is, you know? And not everybody has seen him on every damn gossip show yeah. for almost yeah. two decades now, it feels like. Remember his J-Lo period? Yeah. It's... Where he was ca- carrying like a white man purse? And and he can't stay out of the limelight. I know that's part of the work of being an actor and, and being famous, but... Is it? There are lots of actors who uh, I think do a pretty good job of stepping away, and yeah. so somehow he always manages to be right in the middle of it. Right, and I and I don't understand it. Now, recently I also saw a trailer for uh, the new RoboCop. Have you seen this trailer? Yep. You into it? Uh, I like the actor Joel Kinnaman. He was good in in the Killing, and uh, you know it's great material. I think it's going to look slick, but I, I think Paul Verhoeven is untouchable. He's He's so weird, and we talked about him a lot in our top 100. Well, we're still sad and stinging from Total Recall. Yeah, right. uh, Which was awful. Yeah. Uh, But we recently got a visit from our old friend Ryan Payton. Yes, we did. And we've been talking about him a lot because he uh, he did the impossible. He launched a game through Kickstarter. Grew a huge beard. He grew (laughs) an awesome fuzzy beard, which you can watch on our EP Live video uh, stream, which we've you know recorded, and you can watch it at eplive.tv. But we also have for you Vic's Basement fans out there uh, a full uh, audio version of that so you can listen to it. Because just like the Native Americans, we use every part of the buffalo. We use the whole buffalo. And we also (laughs) know that a lot of you listen to us um, on the treadmill. Uh, You know, you've got your your sport drink and you're running. That's all of our listeners. You've got a towel around your neck Mm -hmm. right now and uh, I'm in your left ear. Scott's in your right ear. But no, we have Ryan Payton yeah. with us. What are you doing? Is you're building this up too much. No, it's good. Well, then let him, a great let, conversation. Let's just roll the tape. All right, roll tape. Welcome, everybody. This is our very first inaugural episode of EP Live. And joining us is our very, very good friend, Ryan Payton, who... Uh, He's alive. He is alive. He finished a game called Republic, which is live, speaking of live, on the App Store right now. It's been doing very well since the holidays. Uh, but we met Ryan Payton when we did the uh, the making of Metal Gear Solid 4, and that was a tremendous experience. Almost killed all of us. <laughs> and then uh, you worked as a creative director on Halo before starting your very own thing, your very own studio called Camouflage. First of all, congratulations. Thanks, thank you. And thanks for joining us, man. I guess I should shake your hand yes. as well. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. It's all very uh, formal. I, I was very excited to come into work today to see you, mm-hmm. just to see evidence that you are actually alive. Because, this is new. The beard uh, is well, new. Didn't, yeah. didn't you have a much longer beard at one I point? did, yeah. And then it kind of comes and goes. It yeah. depends on how angry my mother gets. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know that making a game, and uh, uh, it takes a lot out of you. It, it does. It, it saps your chi. Uh, maybe walk us through Such what making cheap. this game was like uh, compared to uh, working on Metal Gear. I mean, that was your other most significant project that people would know you by. I mean, that was you were obviously much p- a part of a much larger team mm-hmm. in, that, in that scenario. I mean, this is yeah, the first time I've ever worked on a project that wasn't already a predefined IP. So, I mean, it, growing up, knowing I had no idea I was going to ever work on Metal Gear and Halo, but you can imagine as like a kid, that's like every kid's dream, mm-hmm. right? Right, and so. That was a great privilege and a great honor, but... Well, you know, yeah, I mean, just to clarify, you yeah. walked away from Halo to do this. And I walked away from Metal Gear to do Halo. Yes. And so then walked away from Halo to create our own studio to make this game. And uh, But the, to answer your question, though, it feels like when you work on your own title and you, you're employing people and uh, your name's on it and it's a new IP, there's just the, the stakes are much higher. Yeah. You know? And that's I think that's the thing that people don't kind of recognize about building a game is that there is a uh, infrastructure 
cost to all of it. It's the team management stuff. Right. Were you prepared for to be the boss? Yeah, the company running fire anybody? part of it. Uh, I, Who got canned? I did have to fire, you know, a few people, but that's really that's really common when you build a team from scratch and there's people that have don't haven't worked together before and you know, in some environments some people could work really well together and others they they, they don't. And so, uh, you know, I experienced that at at, uh, at 343 working on Halo as well. We went from, you know, five people to 200 plus people, mm-hmm. right? And it's really hard to you know, have everybody work together um, and ship a game uh, as a new team. Uh, but yeah, so but what prepared me actually was Microsoft. It's a very managerial company. Mm. I, I actually spent most of my time not on creative, but actually on managerial things and going to meetings about different initiatives. And you know, before Connect was even announced, like all these people get into secret rooms talking about how we're going to utilize Connect and and also the next Xbox and all those things. And that was all really exciting. It just really didn't feel like you were there at the inception of Connect. And the new Xbox, yeah. 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 Well, you yeah. should have just thrown yourself on it like a soldier with a grenade. Like, and just destroy it. <laughs> hey, I, I, was, I, was, I was really excited. I was really a big yeah. fan. We I, all were yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And For I'm sure. still, still, still somewhat of a believer. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was all really exciting to be on the ground floor of all those things. But again, it's like, we're supposed to be also making a video game. And I'm also having, I also had, what, 10 people directly reporting to me. And under me, I had maybe 20 or 30 people. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, running a company is very similar to that. But how do you focus on the creative? How do you focus on, you know, moving games forward? When well, you're playing so this busy? game, and we both have played it, we both enjoyed it. And it's getting a lot of respect out there from, yep. from critics. And people are buying it and, and enjoying it. And I can't wait for the next chapter. And from gamers, too. The, the, from scores, gamers. the, yeah. the, the star scores are huge. Yeah, the App Store yeah. review were an average of four and a half stars out of five. It's really high for, for the App Store. But the, um, I mean, you know, we've been friends. We've known you for a long time. And that was one of the tough things. And it's some, something we run into once in a while. Right. When we care about you. Uh, and, and seeing this project through to completion, I'm just thrilled that it actually tangibly exists. <laughs> yeah, and we were and worried. We were, I mean, yeah. we were all worried. Yeah, we were yeah. worried about your health. And then, uh, like, the fact that you put your money where your mouth is. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just in awe of, well, of what you. you have created. Because you really, you, this is your moment, right? This, you, you, this is you standing up saying, this is... This this is what I can do. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it feels really great to be able to say that when we look at, you know, the press and the user responses, and, and when people they, they'll they'll talk about things that they don't they don't like about the game, and it's by by no means perfect. Uh, but uh, when when people bring out the fact that they love what we did with the controls on an iOS device, mm-hmm. right, with just the one touch game, uh, what we brought like kind of console quality graphics and narrative to to the to to iOS, um, you know, the, all these different initiatives where we did facial performance, we did facial capture for an iOS game. We're doing all these crazy things that we promised to do, and yeah, like pulling them off. That was a, you know, it's just a great feeling. Even your fan integration with the people who supported the Kickstarter. I mean, right away. <laughs> we run into Jose. He's the yeah. first guard, and I'm I'm flipping through the passport. I'm like, how did Jose get in here? Yeah, I'm like, oh, this is this is all part of the, the Kickstarter. Yeah, it's part thing. of uh, bringing it up. Very elegant. Of, yeah, but also pretty ballsy for someone that had come from console. And I think that you probably hit a bit of wall of uh, skepticism mm-hmm. from people that knew you from Metal Gear and knew you from Halo when you announced that you were leading on iOS. Mm-hmm. You now you're bringing it to other platforms mm-hmm. as well. But uh, yeah, now that seems prescient. Now it seems like, yeah, of course, this mm. is where we should be thinking about bringing out some new IP. It's leading almost mm. on iOS. But how did you surmount that? How did you get over that? And, and uh, do you feel like you made the right choice starting with iOS? That's a great question. Yeah, I, I really feel like we've, we made the right choice uh, developing specifically for iPhones and iPads mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's, such a, it's like undiscovered country, I feel like, in a lot of ways. And for a designer, it's really exciting. That's not to say that there's not a lot of creativity we can still kind of squeeze out of consoles and the 17-button controller experience. Yeah. But I feel like we had so many areas that we could improve on because a lot of guys, I feel like, not because it's really hard, it's really easy to give up on 
creating a game that's specifically designed for these devices. Mm. You know, I'm not exaggerating when I went, I say I went home for 500 nights out of the project feeling like a failure. Right. It was so hard to develop oh. this game. There's so many things that we had to invent on our own. Um, and so, yeah. It's a, and but isn't that true for all games, even when you work on, on 17 button, you know, console I mean, structured games? I mean, that was part of my frustration with Halo. Also part of my frustration with Metal Gear is that uh, you have, it's, it's, it's a blessing, it's a curse to have the, the, the pre-existing franchise, right? To have the, the, the engine already created and the you're just you're building off top yeah. of it. Yeah, user expectations. For example, on Metal Gear Solid, you know, I got a little bit of heat, but I think at the end of the day, people appreciated a lot of the work I did with the controls to update them to more yeah. modernized controls. You guys yes. remember how it was like to play Metal Gear Solid Absolutely. 3 where you're like, tank, I have yeah. to like do this and do this and do this to have him peek around the corner. Yeah. Um, and so you try to update that, there's a lot of pushback because people are used to, you know, reload to be on this button and shoot to be on this button. Um, and yeah, you really feel like you're kind of constrained with like previous games and previous, uh, you know, console experiences. But we had, a f well actually we, we, had, we had, in one sense we had a free open reign to kind of do whatever we wanted to on iOS. Yeah. But it's also interesting because I like to say that it's almost as if we, we were making a new game, we put the, con the controller in front of you and we said, what, what button is jump? We watched how you played mm. the game mm. because people have these pre-established gestures in their mind now about how they interact with you know, iPhones and iPads. And so we actually had to meet them halfway on a lot of these things. Right. You know, like how would you control Hope? How would you have her attack? We see how they do it and like, okay, I guess that's how, that's how she's gonna do it. Mm -hmm. so, I, I'm realizing that we're getting ahead of ourselves on talking about the minutia of playing this game where there's lots of people that are, are watching this or tuning in or whatever. What, what is Republic? Republic? Take us into the game a little sure. bit. Sure, yeah. yeah, so Republic is a, is a game that we spent two years developing that's um, really all about the fantasy of, of, of getting a phone call from somebody who's trapped behind enemy lines. There's this woman named Hope who says, I don't know who you are, but I'm, I'm trapped in this facility. I just called this number. You're the person who got there. Uh, can you help me escape? And, uh, and so really it's just players go from there. We try to build a game for the touch screen device. And so basically players hack into this facility that she's trapped inside of, and you view the world through surveillance cameras. And so we have these kind of this, this dual world going on. One is your world as a hacker through surveillance cameras, hacking doors, uh, scanning passports, doing all these things that like you know the NSA probably is doing every day and every hour. Um, and there's the other side of the game where you can tap on different things in the world and help and direct hope to uh, to freedom basically. And it's at, at its core, I think the gameplay is very much a stealth action game. Right. Uh, and so we really wanted the player to be the main character in the game. Um, and that Hope is like one of your companions in the game, but she's not the main character. You're not controlling her, you're just kind of helping her out. So you mean player, the actual person that's Victor playing Lucas, the game. When is, you're playing, a character you are the game. hero. Right? The, uh, you know, let's go back a little bit further to the primordial ooze. Uh, your original conception for the game, like, where did it come from? At what point were you looking at a touch device and thinking, oh, I can do something here, I can work with this? Yeah, there's a, there's a number of things that, that came together to, to, to create the initial concept. And, and one of them was just seeing Infinity Blade for the first time. I think this is back in 2010 when the first game came out. And it's like, whoa, I can't believe that mobile games can do this in terms of this type of fidelity in these sure, graphics. It was, sure. it, was, it was a big moment for me. And I really respected what they were doing with controls because it was just all about swiping. It wasn't yeah. mapping these like virtual joysticks onto the screen. Um, so there was that. I thought, hey, I want to be first and best for facial performance on, on, on these devices. Um, and then we just kind of went from there in terms of thinking, what kind of story could we tell that's based about uh, based around the fact that you have this device in your hands? And I really like that idea. And so, yeah, there's like kind of all those different elements that kind of played into it. And the final version of the game, how close are you to what you had imagined? Well, the, the initial version we actually pitched to a lot of publishers didn't have the stealth action 
side of the game. It was actually just about talking to Hope and other characters in the world. Right. But it wasn't until we showed it to publishers, and they, some of them had really good, good feedback, and they said, we want to see more traditional gameplay loop. So we actually went into Unity, the, the engine that we're using to develop the game, and we, we knew that we were kind of hacking into different like, webcams in the world, but we, th- we said, well, what if you're viewing it from one of the surveillance cameras in the world? And all of a sudden, the game looked like the first Resident Evil. Right. And I'm like, okay, I'm down. I love Resident <laughs> Evil. I love survival it's horror. It's very much a Resident yeah. Evil vibe. I mean, yeah. even the, the piano music in there. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, like, there's, 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 there's a sense of dread. so many always. nods to, totally. to Resident Evil that I was very much aware of. It's very much we wanted to be like the first Resident Evil and the first Metal Gear Solid like, had a baby. And a little mist. Yeah. Yeah. And a little bit of mist. Yeah. You know, a little... Um, it's very yeah. liter- uh, literary, mm-hmm. this yeah. game. You know, and you're also uh, tipping your hat to a lot of independent uh, spirit in terms of literature, but also in terms of game making, mm-hmm. which was a, a brilliant nod, I think. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but it also taps into this fear that we have about surveillance mm-hmm. and about uh, government oppression and government, uh, uh, you know, it, it sort of uh, integrating itself into people's lives. And that all seems very of the moment. Was that something that was also sort of helping you define what this game was going to be? paranoid as hell. Are you? Yeah, you guys, yeah, I'm changing my phone number all the time, as, as Victor <laughs> Lucas knows. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something that, when I think my friends see this game, they're not so surprised, because I am inter- really interested, maybe overly interested in these kinds of things. Right. Uh, one of the things that I, I kind of drew on was actually my time in Japan working at a company over there, um, where we were monitored all the time. Uh, a lot of websites were blocked from our computers. Random screenshots were taken of our computers and sent to HR. Wow. Uh, our badges were, were monitored as we went in and out of the company, and we'd get warnings if we were out for too long, right? And I felt like I was almost like a rat in a cage. Unbelievable. Um, and so... Uh, Is that our future in North America, do you think? I believe so, absolutely. Yeah? yeah. Unless, there, unless there's a big movement, uh, and I think politically, I think there needs to be one. Uh, but the... You know, so when, when people ask, say, oh, yeah, you must be so excited that this whole Snowden scandal happened because it helps me, me sell more games. And I was like, you know what? We've been thinking about this for yeah. a very long time. Yeah. And this is not the first time that leaks have happened and that people knew that you know, governments are probably going a little bit uh, more into their lives than they, than they probably originally Yeah, and I think anybody that's got any kind of computer identity or you know, a, a sort of uh, ability to communicate around computers and their integration into our lives is concerned about all of this stuff the, right the, now. The most important thing for us, though, when we're telling the story, we have a lot of stuff that's you know, tapping into the NSA and, yeah. and surveillance and PRISM and all these things. But what, what I, what I, I know you guys believe this, too, and it sounds sort, sort, of, sort of radical to a lot of people, but I believe games have the ability to tell stories in much more impactful ways than even Hollywood movies can. Yes. I think if you do it really smartly. And so what we wanted to do with our game was we didn't want to be too preachy about things. I have my own personal opinions, but I just wanted to put the player behind the surveillance camera and have them make their own decisions Mm -hmm. and have them understand and decide whether they think this is healthy or not or this is good for society or not. Well, you you and I had a a conversation about the App Store a little bit, and Scott and I have been talking a little bit about free-to-play and stuff like that. What's happening in video games right now, Ryan? And you made the shift from the biggest of the big to, uh, you know, Indian scrappy. The smallest of the small. Yeah. What's happening in games? Oh, man, it, where do you want to begin? Uh, but in the, on the topic of just purely the, the app store and free-to-play, yeah. uh, we feel like we're fighting the good fight. Um, by, the game is $5. And to a lot of people, that's a lot of money for some reason in that relative app space. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we, we stuck to our guns. We thought we had a really high-quality game. And it's, it, the good thing is that people are really responding well to it. Um, but we are fighting a really tough battle against an infinite sea of free-to-play games that people can play forever without paying a dollar for. Yeah. And here we're all asking for $5. And we get a lot of complaints from people that say, why are you charging money for this game? You know, like, so it's, it's a tough space to, 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 to operate in. Thankfully, we've gotten a lot of support from Apple. 
Apple, uh, we had a, a nearly global feature of the game, editor's choice over Christmas, the whole Christmas holiday, Republic, it was amazing to see. The team was over the moon, we were hugging and crying the day that we saw that. Yeah, for and sure. it's so amazing to see that we got that support from Apple. You and, know, you're, and you're not out of the woods yet. That's the thing. Like usually when we talk to people uh, either on the podcast or on the show, it's just like, well, that's done and it's behind us. But you're still working on the, the subsequent right. episodes. And so yeah. that's why I'm even surprised that you're here at all. Because I know <laughs> you're, you got to get back and you got to keep hammering away. Right before we started this live thing, I was just on my computer working on episode two and working with the team. And I love the episodic model. I love it. I love that. Companies like Telltale, The Walking Dead, Wolf Among Us, they're, they're doubling down on it. The Kentucky Route Zero is another cool episodic game. What it allows for us creators is that it's not over after like you know two years or three years on a project, because then you just scrap it like most games and you start off on the next thing that's going to take three years. But with Republic, it's awesome that we can actually go and refine what we did with episode one when we released episode two mm -hmm. and continue to do that with each of the five episodes that we're building. You know, one thing we both noticed that's very interesting, maybe you can uh, tell us uh, about this choice, but it's a very much... It's it's an empowering game for women. Uh, right. It's women, you know. Even I'm spoiling it a little bit, but it ends with that face-off, and it's like there's like the men are the people who are there to be circumvented or knocked out, and and it's very yeah. pro women. Mm. Like, how do you explain that that choice? Because most gamers still skew uh, gender-wise toward, towards is, men. Yeah, and is that a statement on the bikinis that the Kojima production seems to be uh, favoring right now? Oh man, uh, <laughs> that, that, you know. The, those guys have a long way to go, I think, in terms of uh, thinking about you know, you know, gender equality. Have you ever talked to a real woman? <laughs> it's such it's so embarrassing, man. I can't. But let's just say that for Republic in general, we didn't really put a lot of thought. It wasn't like a very methodical type of thing. Oh, we're going to change gaming by featuring all these different you know female protagonists. It really was. It was just a story that we wanted to tell. Right. And I think that's the most natural thing. Uh, and I think what you, when you play the game, I think you'll feel that this game didn't come out of a boardroom. Or an executive meeting no. or uh, focus test groups. Yeah, uh, I'm really proud of that. It, it does seem like there is, you know, with episodic, but also free to play. That a big part of the future of games is to have this ongoing discussion back and mm. forth uh, with your players and to give them constant updates, whether that mm. is in uh, new content to make your title evergreen and constantly playable in a free-to-play type thing, or it's uh, a full new episode for, for something that's episodic. Is, I mean, is that what we're looking at, is games that never end, that are this, you know, I, I guess it's like a like the Simpsons TV show or something like that. Like they just keep going on and on and on, and they they want you to never delete their the titles off the uh, the phones or or the uh, you know you know the hard drives on your console or something. Is that is that what we're facing right now? I don't know if that's. I mean, I think I think you're seeing a lot more than before, yeah. and it's something I really enjoy as you know as a fan of lots of different things. I love that there's more continued content that's coming down the pipe. You know, as a big Bioshock fan, I love that you know they have these new DLC chapters of you know burial, burial at sea, and mm -hmm. that makes me really excited because there's a lot more touch points. Going back to the whole idea of it used to be you know you wait three years, something comes out, it's really epic, and you play it for 10 to 15 hours, and then you wait another three years. I like to have it be more part of like your daily life. You're kind of curious, and that's why with with our studio we we do like you guys. We do a podcast, you know, we do our, our backer updates to our Kickstarter backers, and it's just this dialogue through Facebook and Twitter throughout the whole course of this project. Yeah. And for us as creators, it's really fun because we don't have to just start from scratch all over again. But it's also like you just you feel like you're inviting more people into the family and who are interested in your Doesn't product. Doesn't that have a bit of a, a challenge though with like removing the idea that this is an event that mm -hmm. is special, that is gonna I mean it, it obviously hasn't been working so well for Nintendo, which I think has always released games like they were a huge event and people seem to 
be mm. moving away from that. But isn't there something to be said about having a breath and, and you know, waiting to kind of build up the expectation and the hype and then it's releasing the something? Netflix model where they're just releasing everything all yeah, at once. Yeah, I guess. Eh? I, mean, I mean, maybe that is the, like, with digital distribution, that's mm-hmm. it, is you get, you get a, you just get chunks and chunks and chunks of material now. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the cadence of what we're doing for the episodic. It's yeah. about, you know, every, every, every season or so, every three, you know, three months or so, we're aiming to have a new episode. Right. And I feel like that's just enough time for people wait, to I gotta of, wait three months? <laughs> you gotta wait three months, man. I'm sorry. I know. You'll, you'll, you'll do it, man. You'll hang in there. Yeah. I know you, but the, it's, I like that cadence. I really, because you, you want to, especially with the App Store, these games have very long tails like the really successful games yep. and they, they constantly update like Infinity Blade all throughout the year they constantly add more missions and things like that um, but I like the, the the mini event of each episode I'm really excited to ship episode 2 and see yep. how people respond um, but yeah I think you're right I mean I think if it's like every day or every 3 days it's, there's a new update yeah you lose the specialness of it but then, and I also think like Every two years, or even you know, every especially every three years, it feels like the cadence is too far along. You almost forget that right. you, like I forget that Fallout Three came out and that I want Fallout Four. You know, right, right, I want right. to be in that world a little more often than every two or three years. Right. So you guys are in uh, Bellingham, uh, Bell- we're Bellevue. In Bellevue. Yeah, Bellevue. Yeah, I always confuse those two. Right near uh, Valve. Yeah, right. Uh, a yeah. block away from Valve, mm-hmm. block away from Bungie. Looking back at the game, at what you've accomplished so far with with the first episode, is there a little bit of uh, the city itself? Because it's a pretty it's a pretty part of the country in in the game. I mean, I noticed that there is rain uh, against the sort of atrium oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, window on the top, the glass. Um, but yeah. is there, you know, because I always do, I, that's one of my ongoing theories, is there's a little bit of the DNA of where the game is made in the game itself. I think that's a really interesting theory. Uh, I've never really thought too much about it. Like there's I think Boston really, and Bioshock. I'm right. sure of it. I can feel it. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's Santa Monica in The Last of Us. I'd like to, yeah, it's really <laughs> interesting. That's a really interesting question. I mean, but there's no, if, 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 if Republic was somewhat influenced by like the, the environment that we worked in, it would have been the most dumpy, smelly, gross place <laughs> in the envi- entire world. You we have spend our, money on your studio office, is what you're saying. Our office is like this shame of a very, mm-hmm. very clean downtown Bellevue. <laughs> We're in the absolute ghetto and we love it. Like mm-hmm. there's wires coming out from the ceilings, there's stains everywhere. The, the roof leaks when it rains, which happens a lot, as you guys know, in Northwest. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, so maybe, but maybe that you know the the, the rain kind of uh, you can hear it in in the atrium mm-hmm. of one of the parts of the game. Maybe that was inspired by uh, our environment. Yeah, talk to uh, talk to us and our viewers a little bit about this this war against linear and oh, and yeah. narrative in video games right now. Well, do you want to you want to do like a kind of can't like a fireside story, like kind of a horror story yeah, about the future I, of video and, games? And I want to rant and I want to you know like <laughs> warn our viewers. I think we probably are already thinking along these lines, but I think we. We, as uh, a population of gamers, have got to make a stand here that we have played enough match three, you know? <laughs> it is time to do some other types of things, right? But talk, talk to me about some of the meetings that you had when you were, yeah. you, you were pitching this game and this concept to, to different mega publishers out there. It was, it was fascinating to watch. Uh, there was a, as you can imagine, when, when you ship a game that has as much uh, exposure as Republic, and our Kickstarter had a lot of, I think we had something over a million views on our, on our site when, during Kickstarter, you get a lot of exposure, you get a lot of attention, you get a lot of emails from a lot of the big companies around the world that are interested in your content. Yeah. But the, the meetings were really fascinating. A lot of, from a lot of these companies that make their money, a lot of their money from, I, I, for lack of a better term, like exploiting people and tr- kind of tricking them into you know, a free offering and then literally milking them from hundreds of dollars and sometimes thousands of dollars, sometimes tens, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. And, uh, but these guys, are, a lot of them are, are gamers and they want to work on games that aren't 
these games for babies that are really manipulative. Mm -hmm. And uh, they look at the game and say, man, I want to figure out a way to work with you. But I don't know how because in the bottom line, linear content, linear games don't make as much sense as games that are infinitely playable. It's so um, cynical. And he says that by definition, linear games have a beginning, middle, and end. And when a game has an end for us, it's bad because that's the end of your monetization. And we're talking about Bioshock Infinite at the time. Yeah. And he said, we've thought about a lot. We would love to work with Ken Levine. We would love to work on Bioshock type of games, but the maximum you could ever monetize anybody in these games with the game and maybe like a soundtrack and maybe some DLC is $100. And that's not enough. That's not enough these days. If you, because we have to give it a, make it a free offering and we need to make it so people can spend sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars into these games. And it was really depressing because it wasn't like I was looking, staring at the eyes of the other side of like evil in a lot of ways because no. these guys are reporting the bosses and they have bottom lines. They said, why would I invest this amount of money to, to you know, publish Republic when I could, for that same amount of money, I can make five Clash of Clans clones that could have the chance of making millions of dollars a day. Yeah, and, and when you fight, when you talk to those guys, if from a business perspective, I'd be saying the same thing if my, if my job was about the bottom line. You know what and, I mean? Yeah, and you could argue on the other side, and Scott and I have this discussion all the time, that maybe these are the entrees into interest in games for a lot of people, or, or like they're bringing people back, and in some ways it's a reflection of the roots of the business, the sort of quarter-munching arcade days, which, you know, those games were all engineered to just suck money out of your pockets. And, and that could would be true except these games don't let up and they take all your time and your time is the value is your time is what you're giving up to these things you won't you won't have time to enjoy a last of us or a republic or a bioshock i think if you're somebody who and this is we've been having this conversation i know but i think this is pertinent but i think if if you're somebody who uh is spending a hundred thousand dollars on the match three game you've got other problems you do have major major problems yeah and i don't think that's the kind of person you know gamers are sophisticated they're some of the best most uh, evolved people and educated except for the Kojima team and <laughs> uh, but yeah I think they're they're kind and they're they're you know but and, and they're very stable and and they make great lovers uh, <laughs> we're beavers but I don't I, I, I don't think that uh, I don't I think somebody who's gonna fall for that you know fall into the farmville trap or whatever well it, there's it, something wrong no we can't just say that we don't need those people to support games mm. like that because we do we need that audience out there but they're being siphoned away by these malicious Delicious, almost malware-like type experiences. I, know, I, I think so. I mean, how I many Catch of Clans, uh, Clash of Can, Clan, combos? I can't because I'm so I, mad right I've now. I've <laughs> stricken it out of my vocabulary. I can't stand it. it yeah. I feel like as much as it's making a lot of money for these individual companies, it's really devastating our business. Well, I think the sad thing is that, you know, it, uh, as uh, your users don't know that I, I have a special name for your your co-host here. Yeah, yeah. That, so cool, Scott here. Cool, Scott. <laughs> obviously, yeah. uh, obviously, obviously. I lost my hand in a <laughs> waffle making accident. Really, this is this, this is, is what is, they give you in Canada. When, this is CanCon. It's a socialized right, healthcare. Right. Oh, really? <laughs> That's beautiful. So, yeah. uh, but for, for guys like us, we, we we do love these games like Last of Us and you know like Bioshock yeah. and even like the Room like on smaller devices that you know tell really interesting narratives. I think the scary thing is is that these larger companies, when they're trying to survive and they're trying to adapt, and a lot of them, they, they're not leaders, they're followers, is that their, their investments are not going into games that we love. Yeah. When we look at the release can calendar in 2014, I think we get a little nervous, right? Because yeah. a lot of this money is being spent on not fostering games that we really love. It's on fostering these games that, for better or for worse, honestly, I think they, they, they belong in, in Las Vegas and right. Atlantic City. Right. I really do. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, so I think it is pertinent. Call of Duty belongs in Las Vegas and Atlantic City. Oh, no, no, 
not no, so much. Not no, so man. much. They, they, like they, they may take some missteps I with like, their narrative, but there's a, a, a an intrinsic value to the experience of something like that. We were that. talking about this when we were in Montreal. You yeah. know, the Assassin's Creed 4 sales are down. Yes. People are have, I think, reached a saturation point with some of these series, and For it actually sure. gets to the point where... <laughs> You know, that's enough. I can't, I'm full. I can't take any more. You know, I don't want to eat anymore. Yeah, but I don't think that's doing us any favors either. I think we need to vision and true of Ubisoft. Yeah, but I think we need to be, uh, you know, vigilant in our our concern about all of this stuff. We don't just sort of say, okay, well, uh, it'll all sort itself out, and not speak up about what what we want as as consumers. And we represent a consumer base for ourselves, and also for people that that watch our content and and like this type of material out there. As we're, we're communicating that, no, we don't want big, you know, narrative driven experiences to disappear. We don't want big teams that make really cool concepts like The Last of Us to disappear. We want those types of games supported and we want these companies to find the money to make those types of material. That's why we you don't guys want- are doing good work. You know, you're getting, you're bringing the word out to, to people and showing them what the, the good stuff is, right? Yes. That's good. It's really let's, important. Yeah. Let's and, talk about some of your friends and some of the career changes maybe that they've gone through. I'm sure you know people who have either had to go to work on projects that they don't feel comfortable working on or they maybe they've left the business altogether and decided to make apps or do mm-hmm. something different. I mean, what what are what have been, what's been your personal experience of of, you know, some of your colleagues who you've gotten to know over the years? Oh, yeah, it's, it kind of runs a gamut, but I mean the sad thing is it's a lot of studios. I mean, I, I lost track at over 100 when about all these different studios that have closed over the past 5 years when yeah. you know the middle, you know, the smaller mid mid mid-sized teams have just uh, haven't been able to compete with like the big Call of Duties and Assassin's Creed, mm-hmm. but they're also too too big to compete on the smaller scale and so uh, yeah a lot of my friends actually have gone on to do similar things to what we've done Mm -hmm. where one of the beautiful things in the past five years is that you know, five years ago when I was at Microsoft, I could not have put Republic up on any kind of marketplace. It wasn't, you had to go through Microsoft, Nintendo, or Sony. You had to have millions of dollars in the bank. You had to make all these discs and have some kind of distribution model and all this stuff. And nowadays, it, cool Scott, if you want to make a game, you could upload it today on the App Store and it'll probably get approved as long as it's not got some of that lewd stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, but, uh, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, <laughs> exactly. No and, uh, and, and like tool sets like Unity and Unreal, they allow you know smaller developers to make games that are competitive. Like, I think it's amazing when I look. I'm really proud of Republic when I look at it and say, like, this game looks pretty darn good compared to a lot of our competitors. And we're just you know 20 guys in some crappy office in, in Bellevue. Yeah. And I think that's significant. So a lot of these guys are just kind of making their own rules. Um, I think the thing that's just kind of discouraging for me up until now, though, is that we're not seeing the sales of these games to the degree of like an Assassin's Creed or or or, or Call of Duty or even near what we're seeing on the free-to-play space in terms of hundreds of millions of people playing these games. Right. I feel like they're oftentimes playing, in my opinion, the wrong games. Yes. But I'm, I, but I'm still, I'm still um, hopeful for the future. And I think with Republic, at least, we're going to try to fight that battle. And we're going to have, my goal is to have 100 million people play this game. For one way or the other, yeah. having all these different devices in the long term. Well, let's talk about some of the other because uh, you're porting it to the Mac and the PC, right? How is the experience going to be different when you're not playing it on Man. iOS? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, that's something that we're still debating internally. Yeah, it's uh, we we set off to make the best game we possibly could for iPhones and iPads, right? Mm-hmm. And to do that, you have to design, and you can't compromise 
with any other devices. And some games get in a lot of trouble. They say, okay, this game is going to be on PC and it's going to be on console and it's going to be a tablet version. You have to design and serve all these masters. It's a really bad practice. So what we decided to do is just focus on iOS for now. And now that the team is back from the break, uh, we're sitting down and thinking about what can, we, what can we do to make this game the ultimate desktop experience. And a lot of that's actually going to happen uh, with our dialogue with the community in the next month or two. Awesome. So we're going to ask them, who are more experts than we are, on Steam and early access and these are the kind of PC games and ask them what they want. And then we're just going to do those things. What's interesting uh, about the game is, and I wonder when you guys were playtesting it, if you put it in front of people who aren't gamers, because it's, it's, it's pretty sophisticated. And I, you know the learning curve is pretty steep for an iOS mm. game. And I have to say, like the first half hour, maybe 45 minutes, I was kind of confused and lost mm. and the camera perspective kept changing and yep. learning the controls. I mean, do you think that, um, did, you, did you guys put it in front of people who aren't necessarily like us, gamers of, of our caliber? And, and how did they react to it? We, we absolutely did. We put, my, my job was basically a, a glorified playtest manager. I brought in somebody every single day and I watched them play the whole experience. And for the vast majority of that was extremely painful. <laughs> it was just, I'm like, no, just, just, the thing is flashing, just tap on it. Like, you know, the arrows are going there. Why don't you do that? It's the most, it's the most maddening when thing. When we were in New York, we uh, actually sat in with Jonathan Blow and I played some of the witness oh. and he was just behind me and I I'm was sure. just feeling dying. Yeah. So, Right. Like it's really hard. Every it's foolish. It's one of the decision. it's one of the hardest things I think you ever do. Yeah. You know, as yeah. a, as a designer. Um, so yeah, the the game is not to like the, you know the. Uh, in terms of a usability perspective, it's not ex like 100% perfect by any means. But I think that's one of our the things we're really excited about with this episodic nature is that we can e keep updating the first 15, 20 minutes, which I think is the most important you know, minutes of the game to really grab people. And so we've made leaps and bounds in terms of like how you make, how you play this game that nobody's ever played before. But yeah, it's still got a lot of work. So wrapping your head around not being able to control the character was right. tough for us because yeah. you just hope it does her own thing. I mostly. told him how pissed I was already. <laughs> well, you know this is one of those rare games where I scored it higher than he did. Yeah, yeah. and it was, it was because I couldn't surmount the, uh, the, the, the disconnect with hope. I mean, I wanted her to I move. I want to control and, it. And yeah. every time that she got caught, it was like, you know, I was starting to get more and more frustrated. But by the end of the game, it, you're really caught up in the fiction and the world and the cool. Uh, you get sort good of, at it too. You're yes, just like, you do. Boop, boop, yeah. and you're flying around, you're getting her through places. Well, then you get the tools and you get to, you know, hide in the nooks properly and stuff like that. And it does start to really open and you see the fiction and the intelligence mm. behind the craft of this game really open up. And I really appreciated mm. all that. But one thing I just, I found out when talking to you before we started rolling is that you can actually control the game with one of the iOS controllers. Yeah, and so you guys worked hard to integrate we that. We did, yeah. So you can, at the, any Apple store, you can buy one of these controllers from MoGA or Logitech and you yep. can attach it to your iPhone and you can play the game. Uh, you, have, you still have to tap to send hope onto the screen, but you can you can manipulate the camera. You can go into uh, OmniView and with different buttons. You can go into her inventory. It just makes the game feel like interesting, like more of like a console experience. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was an interesting thing to ch to to design for. But that said, we did really did focus on just because knowing that most of the players are going to have just a touch device, we really focus on that experience. Yeah, really uh, cool. Let's talk a little bit about the the design of the game itself. I don't know how much time we have. Are we running out of time? There, I mean, there's. We got to go to commercial. That's the thing about live. Uh, We're just gonna. Keep 
keep rolling. But there's that room, that cell that she always goes back to yes. whenever she gets caught in the and uh, uh, like it's it's one of those moments like it's a suspension of disbelief kind of a moment. Like you're like, oh yeah, here's a, here's the cell again, and every environment, every little uh, discrete area of the game has its own right. kind of version of her dorm room that she gets marched back to every time. And then yeah. seconds later, she's out again. Yeah, keep the like yeah, yeah. Find, like the, the lock to this to this. Uh, but being a, a, a game designer, I mean, how do you decide what you know? Like this is sort of a little a little bit of a leap of faith, fiction wise, right. that, that you're expecting us to take. Well, I think it's a it's a common symptom of of, a, of like a younger designer who is trying to you know prove himself, and you take on too many risks. And we definitely took on too many risks with this game. Mm-hmm. And uh, and one of the things that I really wanted to challenge myself was was to have a, something that was as believable as possible. So it's funny that you bring up. Like yeah, this, we have uh, I think we have like six different confinement cells located throughout the facility, and our fictional conceit is this is where they take mm-hmm. you know these subjects whenever they get in trouble and you lock them up and um, and yeah it's it's a it's a little bit of a stretch of, of you know a little bit of suspension of disbelief, but uh, I think even more so would be just the thing I've always felt uncomfortable with games is this whole concept of this time traveling game over. Mm-hmm. Phenomenon, yeah. where you die and then you go seconds like seconds, seconds later they're back and they're alive again and you just re- reverse in time and so I really wanted to solve all these different problems and so what you end up doing is you start introducing new problems that people are like mm, that doesn't make sense but like what makes sense about the game over thing we're just so used to it right you know? I would rather do that than we've, we've been replaying Tomb Raider and she just gets choked out or stabbed and <laughs> like, it's, like it's such a morbid experience because the screen goes black and white it's so horrible it's and awful, it, it, yeah. like hope never, I wish they would have changed like that, I hate to no. say this but hope never dies she never dies well, that was part the of your thing. intention with this game too coming off of these extremely violent mature rated games is you wanted to make something that had the tension, mm-hmm. but not the gun violence, and not the people yeah. getting shot and, and and bloodied. Yeah. So one of the big, you know, the big things that we want to challenge ourselves with was to make a game that's intense and people are really in, into, without the need of like chainsaws and cutting off people's heads and you know, hope wielding a gun and knife and all that stuff. And that's we really cer- hard. We certainly have choice in that direction, don't yeah, we? We do. Right? We don't have tons of choice in the other direction. Right. Yeah. And exactly one of the the, the lies that you know your your game your senior game designer your boss will tell you is that you need to have violence to make the game more intense and visceral. Mm. And I felt like we had dis- disproven that to a certain extent when you we did. had play testers come in and I'm watching them freak out. I'm like, no, 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 go over here, go over here, go over here. And Hope is not going to get viciously, mur- viciously murdered like, uh, in, like in Tomb Raider, yeah. but they were still totally into it. Yeah. And, I, and I thought that was a big win. That was a big win for us, but I also felt just for game design in general. Yeah, our, yeah. our imaginations take us a lot further than any visual representation can. You know, I mean, that's been proven from Jaws and mm-hmm. all kinds yeah. of movie no, releases no, over the years. Point. You know, Poltergeist, all of that stuff. Yeah. Let us imagine the worst. Right. And we do. And you, you I think, uh, accept that the gamer is, is you know, intelligent and they're going to be right along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? we, yeah, we don't we don't set like a low low common denominator like I think a lot of game developers do. Right. Uh, we, we we assume that the players are interested in something that's a little more visceral, something that they're sophisticated, and we yeah we try to meet them halfway. And awesome. I, I like games like that. I uh, like I, I do worry about you a little bit. The 500 days of working on the game, going home feeling like this is shit. Like that's that's hard. I think and that's that's art, man. No, but I, I, I you know I, I know some people who work in marketing, and one of the jobs of marketing sometimes is to give the team a reality check before their game goes, because they think they've made the best game that's ever been made. Right. right. And but your experience, it is almost much more like uh, closer to being like an independent artist or writer or somebody who just works on their own. And you're, there's the self doubt that you had to endure to create this. 
I hope it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. Absolutely <laughs> worth it. I'm more happy now, you know, than I've ever been in this industry. Hey, you yeah. look like you lost a little weight. Yeah, you, you know, I've been exercising, and uh, yeah, it's it's been it's just been really fun. But yeah, it's but going home every day for the vast majority of this project, worried if this ever is going to work. <laughs> yes. There's no roadmap for us, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a really scary experience, but then when you hit it and you have somebody come into play yeah. and he's playing the game for four and a half hours straight yeah. and he won't take a break yeah. and you want to take a break. And, and I just, I went out to, to the team. I said, this guy, he, he really likes the game. Yeah. And, uh, one of my one of our designers, Brent, was doing like the the um, the Ron Paul like it's happening, you know, and, like everybody's like high fiving each other. And that's a great feeling. I I'd much rather have that feeling yeah. than to have just done a copycat game and like okay, we finally figured out how they did this thing. Yeah, right? I don't want that. Like mm -hmm. I want to create something new. I mean, I, he's I, a maverick. Well, I know exactly what Ryan. he feels like. And in, in season one of VP, when we were on the air, I made no money. You know, we we made no money. We just made a TV show and got it on TV. We couldn't live off of what we made back then. Yeah. But I remember walking home from a a day of work on the show and just feeling over the moon. Yeah. Like it was a, a show that was on TV and it was yeah, like people were watching it and enjoying it. And there's something, so, and, and it, it was a manifestation of a dream. Why do we need all that self-doubt though in order to make something good? <laughs> well, I don't <laughs> know if it's self-doubt, it's just the reality of you watch somebody play it and you're like, this doesn't work. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really hard and it's, uh, but you know, now I'm addicted to it. Now I know that the next game is just going to be. Right. Yeah, I'm going to try to tackle something else that hasn't been done. Mm -hmm. You know. Do we have some questions from uh, from Twitter yeah. followers? Yeah. Um, were there any segments or features that had to be scrapped in order to keep the control? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Any segments or features that had to be scrapped in order to keep the control? Who's that from? We should that's give from credit. Cody. From Cody. Yeah. Right on. Where to go, Cody? That was a good question. Uh, segments or features? Yeah. For the, for, specifically for about the controls. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we, I mean, we, we messed with so many things about the controls. Uh, initially, we had players tap on Hope to, uh, to, to equip and unequip her, her, her weapon. Mm -hmm. That ended up being stupid uh, because uh, we find that players were tapping on her to do other different things, and they were trying to tap on a guard, and like she's in the way, and then she would just change her weapon, and that was really strange. Um, we, we, uh, we started off with... Uh, all the different kind of different control schemes. I'm, I'm I'm actually forgetting a lot of a lot of the things that we've that we've cut. But um, the the beauty of it is that uh, because of this episodic nature, we can actually bring back a lot of the things that are only like kind of half finished, right? And then put them into future episodes, right? So um, and but, and make it part of the narrative evolution. But I would say that overall, uh, we didn't cut as much as we probably should have, and that's on me. Is that I love adding stuff, and I have a hard time cutting, <laughs> and so uh, it drives the, the team crazy. Do you know um, the uh, the Konami code? Do so you know the, it? No, there's no Konami code. No, do you game. know it? Though? I do know the Konami okay, code. Okay, what is it? Is it up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start? This is what we need for from iOS gaming and from the tablet gaming still. We need the equivalent of the Konami code, and I feel like your game is the first step towards us getting there. I think that's an interesting idea. I think yeah. I'll, I'll look into putting that in for okay. a future episode. Right. And then make it an indie kind of uh, thread. I know. I, I, That'd be pretty cool, right? I think right? we need more of that, don't yeah. we? Yeah. Just, so, just some, just well, some I, language that we need, that we, like a I sort mean, of it, internal language. Isn't it cool that you collect cartridges of all of these? these I love it. I mean, yeah. it's such and a I love great the, the community building Cooper, thing. And I love the, yes. the, uh, the way that he always speaks in that sort of Macintosh voice. That you awesome. Like, I let, no one's ever used that before. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was like all the choices you guys made along the way. I was, so I was down with. Thank you. So smart. Thank you. Another question? Uh, this is from Scott. Yeah, not me. 
Uh, was multiplayer ever considered? It might be cool to hide under the surveillance of the Multiplayer ever considered for the game? That's a terrible idea. That's a, it's a, Scott hates multiplayer. You hate, you hate cool, multiplayer? Cool Scott yeah. is too cool for multiplayer. Cool Scott? I, li yeah. I like to play alone. <laughs> you know, I like to, I like to be, go on my adventures. The whole reason I got into this business is I like stories where I'm, I'm an adventurer. I'm on, you I'm, should try Clash of Can Clans. <laughs> I can't even say it. I can't. I hate that Clash stupid. of Clans. <laughs> okay, so multiplayer. so multiplayer. Or a mega fruit jumper. You know, if we had a, amazing. <laughs> if we had a bigger team, I think we probably would have explored multiplayer. If only because what the nice thing about multiplayer design, it really stress tests your your, your core mechanics a lot faster because mm -hmm. you just have people playing the game every day, and you're like, oh, I don't like the way that this works. I don't like the way. I actually think our core gameplay loop would have been stronger if we had a multiplayer component to help, you know, kind mm -hmm. of uh, make the game smoother. Um, we didn't have the idea of you know one side of the players go through the surveillance cameras, and the other side plays as hope. I think that's a really cool idea. It's just the amount of resources, and we just had to, you know, keep the scope. Okay, so like somebody would have to find hope, and somebody would control hope. That'd be that's interesting. Cool. But you don't like that idea, so don't even yeah, pretend. Scrapped. Like well, I mean, look at the multiplayer <laughs> on, on Arkham Origins. Yeah, there's nobody work. there. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Another one. Uh, this is from James. Mm -hmm. What were the challenges of Kickstarter? And if you were to how would you change your Kickstarter campaign if you were to do it again tomorrow? Yeah, I know that a lot of people are watching this that maybe are thinking of building their own games or doing the Kickstarter thing. They want the 500 days. So tell us, yeah. uh, tell <laughs> us about Kickstarter. I know one of them was was his uh, campaign was successful. It though. was great, yeah. but but also but fulfilling stuff across the border was very tough for you guys, wasn't it? Was it? Um, yeah. Overall, I give us an A minus for our Kickstarter campaign. Uh, you know, it came down to the wire, 555 thousand. I gave you no money. I'm just gonna say I I've never given anyone any money on Kickstarter so I, I know too and I regret I, I checked I know <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> I did buy the game and all the episodes well, thank you. so that's, well, thank that's you. Vic said I could do I told I told you I was feeling bad about it yeah that's I mean I think I from, from our perspective on the press side it's, it is it's, it's we're, tricky we're overwhelmed it, well, it, but also yeah we get the press releases every day yeah. from a new one and a new and you know like we love the whole business and we love all of the individuals in there but we would go broke if it's we like were giving investing people like and you it, decide that you give to all of them or you give to none of them well it's, it's it is a little tricky because yes. we're an, an, you know tuned to all of it. Compared you to homeless people. Well, that's, what people that's what they used to say at the beginning. But Ryan is my friend, and I supported him. <laughs> I know you did. Kind of you support, are you? You support Kickstarter. If you do. supported the Uya one. Thanks for that, Vic. I did. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> oh, he is pretty, still pretty. Oh, anyways, but, yeah, but we, so overall, we've, I think we've done, we've done great. We do uh, monthly updates to our backers, and yeah. we we, t we show them stuff that the, the public never got to see. You know, we, the press never even picked up on. And I actually think it's really cool that we had basically like eleven thousand people that are part of our development team. We would send them screenshots, oh. and like they would never leak it online. Like you guys are amazing. Like that's awesome. You the guys are really forever at the yeah. End. Everybody's in there. Yeah, I love Steve it. Tilly, I saw him in there. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I love it, and I, I, you know, Mega Mighty Number Nine. Yeah, Mighty Number Nine. That's an amazing Kickstarter. Like around four million dollars. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, and, I mean, and, but, and the and the callouts and the constant updates and stuff like that's very impressive. And the other one that I've been keeping an eye on is that Star Citizen game too. Oh man, you came what, along at a time ridiculous. though when it felt like the Kickstarter thing was almost it reached its saturation point. It was well, a, a jumping the shark kind of a thing. We're like, oh my god, everybody has Kickstarters now. Is, is, you know, like uh, Spike Lee has a Kickstarter. It's just like that's enough, man. Yeah, we, we did, we did try to rise, uh, ride that wave, um, but to answer the, the, the question from the from the viewer about uh, things I would have changed, I don't know. It's it was we 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 had plans in place to do fulfillment for iOS, 
to give codes out to, to all the backers. And that's a really hard thing on the App Store, the way that the App Store works. And so we, we, did, we did put all our backers through a lot of pain for the, the, at least the first two or three or four days of the, of the launch because some of the backers who were there from day one didn't have the game. And we felt terrible. Yeah. And so our game shipped on, on December 19th. And we were at the office Christmas Eve, the day before Christmas Eve. We had like this, like, this uh, Yule log from like Netflix on our iPad, like hanging on the wall. <laughs> and we were like listening to Christmas music and we we're like putting in like uh, oh, redeem codes yeah. and like refunding people on PayPal. Oh, it was like the I saddest like the Christmas oh, no. ever. We had like we're like eating like cold pizza. Like it was awful. <laughs> but, but it was Game worth development. it. Yeah. 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 Hey, join. Come Stay on and do a Kickstarter. Yeah. But it, I mean, we'll never forget that moment, yeah. you know? And, and again, it was really, you, people, you hear this stuff all the time. Like, oh, it's for the backers. It's for the backers. Yeah. And they pay lip service to it. But we really did believe, we really do believe that. Like, yeah. we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for these people who gave us their, their money so early in advance, not knowing if this thing was ever even going to work. How much did you have to give to get into the, to become one of the guards like Jose? Did he, Jose? You had to get a pretty significant amount of money. Oh, wow, that's yeah. amazing. A that's pretty love, significant man. amount of money. It's love. Listen, is that it? No I, more questions? I think, I think we're pretty good because I think that people are going to want to give Ryan uh, some more love on Twitter. And I think it's Ryan, Ryan Payton, just as your name is on Twitter, at Ryan Payton. You should follow him. You should follow him and you should definitely ask him about Building Republic and you should check out the game. Every one of us has got iPhones and iPads. I feel like 800 million people have these things now. 800 million people. And it runs on all of the machines? It runs on everything. The lowest spec is the million? iPhone. Yeah. That's almost a billion. It's almost a billion. And, oh it, and it will be a billion in the it next will be a billion. Very soon. Yeah. Uh, so lowest spec is iPhone four. Yeah. The iPod Touch five mm-hmm. and the iPad two. So right. if you have anything newer than that or newer, you can play Republic. It's five dollars on the App Store. Please check it out. It's worth every penny. Yeah, absolutely, dude. It was so Thank great you. to have you fun. here. Thank you. And congratulations. Cool spot. And uh, you get you, the you get the beaver. Be- oh, well. You get to have the beaver. Do I, well, do I not get the shake his hand too? You get, <laughs> yeah, you get to shake. Thanks for coming on the show, Ryan. You can have that. Okay. Oh, thank yeah, you. That, that's what. It's all sweaty better, in there. Don't. He better in be in episode two. My hand was all sweaty. Seriously. I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Not so cool, Scott. <laughs> I'm human. <laughs> All right. That was good. Thanks, everybody. Ryan said a lot of insightful things, man. And I think he shares our uh, consternation, our concern, our, our constipation. Our constipation. Yeah. Probably because he's been working on a video game. Mm-hmm. No, but I think the uh, there. Uh, this is such a uh, tumultuous time in games right now. Nobody knows how to do this exactly right. Right. right let's now. let's stop. Uh, let's stop being so pejorative. Yes. And uh, let's say that it's a it's a time of change. Yes. It's a time. Let's be a little more optimistic and sunny. Tumultuous is not optimistic or, no, or it makes sunny. It, makes it sound like we're rolling down a hill, like <laughs> like in uh, what was it called, Lone Survivor? <laughs> yeah. It feels like the whole business is just bouncing off of rocks, getting shot at by yeah. uh, people up on mountains. Yeah. No, I you know, I, and I I know that we're on to some awesome stuff. But look at this this damn Candy Crush thing that just Will happened. Will you stop with the Candy Crush? It, well, the, but the more you talk about it, the more favors you're doing for Candy I, Crush. I know, right? Do you okay. need to just turn okay. away. All right. Every I time need... I say Candy Crush, Josh, can you just, you know, just... Just bleep put it a, out. No, put a blank space in there. Yeah. Look at this. <laughs> like, I don't know why this has become the bane of your existence. I, I don't Who cares? Know. I don't know. Yeah, let's let's turn towards the light. You said bane. I have to wait. We brought up Dark Knight Rises. When did we talk about Bane? Earlier? Well, you just said Bane of my existence. Oh, I'm trying to remember how to do Bane. Yeah. Mr. Wayne. 
Mr. Wayne. There it is. Okay. Yeah. You are you are confined to this pit. You must play Candy Crush <laughs> to level seven thousand, or you will never that get down. That would be torture. Yeah. You will know fear, Mr. Wayne. Candy Crush gets into <laughs> your soul. Make the bananas match. <laughs> oh my God. All right. But well, listen. Candy that was bananas. That was a a full uh, full a episode of, yeah. of Vic's Basement. What's going to happen now? What is going to happen now? What are we doing? We are go lunch. No, we are going to go uh, live with Vic's Basement. We're going to put some video on it. It's going to be part of our EP live content. You got a phone call over there. You I got a phone it? call. I'll answer it later. The hotline. This gets weird at the could end. Be Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, it could be. Maybe Don't they want you to play Bane. Batman. That would be all right. Are you into it? Sure. I'd have to start training. You're too young, probably. Yeah, I'm too young. I like it. Thank you. That's why you're my favorite. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Stitcher. Yeah. Can you do Stitcher as Bane? Are we still on Stitcher? Yeah, do Stitcher as Bane. Mr. Wayne, you must go into the pit and play Candy Crush to level 9,000, and you must listen to all things on Stitcher. Stitcher! <laughs> we're, on, we're on iTunes. Does he just be and laugh? He does. No, he doesn't really laugh. God, that was such a bad movie. I feel like I want to see it again, though. It might, might, have, might be aging well, just, it, like, just it's, like us. It's a good sleep aid. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> see you next time.